Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's poem is Longfellow's Paul Revere's Ride. Paul Revere's Ride is perhaps Longfellow's most popular poem, a masterpiece of versification that tells the story of the ride of Paul Revere, a Boston patriot, to warn the Massachusetts countryside that British troops were on their way from Boston to seize the Patriots' store of munitions at Concord. Revolutionary stirrings against British rule in the American colonies had been building for more than a decade, since the close of the French and Indian War in 1763, with Massachusetts taking a leading role. On April 14, 1775, the commander of British forces in Boston, General Thomas Gage, received instructions to move against the Americans. Boston at that time was situated on a peninsula that extended into Massachusetts Bay, connected to the mainland by a narrow neck of land. Gage had to make a decision whether to move his troops down the neck of land or take them by rowboats across the back bay to Charleston which would save time but also require more complex logistics. Four days after receiving his instructions, Gage had his troops ready, and at 10 p.m. on the 18th of April, they were silently roused from their bunks to gather on Boston Commons, where they would make their way down to the bay to be carried across the water. Meanwhile, Two riders stood waiting for news of when and how the British were moving. Paul Revere and William Dawes were to ride separately, Revere to start from Charleston, and Dawes from Boston riding down the neck. Revere had arranged for a signal to be flashed across the bay from the steeple of the old North Church in Boston to where he waited. By the time the British troops were on the Charleston side and ready to set out, it was two in the morning of the 19th. Revere, having gotten the signal shortly after the British troops had begun to gather on Boston Commons, had nearly a four-hour head start. I needn't invite you to listen to Longfellow's telling of the story, as Longfellow invites you himself. Paul Revere's Ride by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Listen, my children and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere on the 18th of April in 75. Hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. He said to his friend, If the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light, one if by land, and two if by sea, and I on the opposite shore will be, ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm, for the country folk to be up and to arm. Then he said good night, and with muffled oar silently rode to the Charleston shore, just as the moon rose over the bay, where, swinging wide at her moorings, lay the Somerset British man of war a phantom ship, with each mast and spar across the moon like a prison bar, and a huge black hulk that was magnified by its own reflection in the tide. 
Meanwhile, his friend, through alley and street, wanders and watches with eager ears, till in the silence around him he hears the muster of men at the barrack door, the sound of arms and the tramp of feet, and the measured tread of the grenadiers marching down to their boats on the shore. Then he climbed the tower of the old north church by the wooden stairs with stealthy tread to the belfry chamber overhead and startled the pigeons from their perch on the somber rafters that round him made masses and moving shapes of shade by the trembling ladder steep and tall to the highest window in the wall where he paused to listen and look down a moment on the roofs of the town and the moonlight flowing over all. Beneath, in the churchyard, lay the dead in their night encampment on the hill, wrapped in silence so deep and still that he could hear, like a sentinel's tread, the watchful night wind as it went creeping along from tent to tent and seeming to whisper, All is well. A moment only he feels the spell of the place and the hour and the secret dread of the lonely belfry and the dead. For suddenly all his thoughts are bent on a shadowy something far away where the river widens to meet the bay, a line of black that bends and floats on the rising tide like a bridge of boats. Meanwhile, impatient to mount and ride, Booted and spurred, with a heavy stride on the opposite shore walked Paul Revere. Now he patted his horse's side, now gazed at the landscape far and near. Then impetuous stamped the earth, and turned and tightened his saddle girth. But mostly he watched with eager search the belfry tower of the old north church. As it rose above the graves on the hill, lonely and spectral and somber and still. And lo, as he looks, on the belfry's height a glimmer and then a gleam of light. He springs to the saddle, the bridle he turns, but lingers and gazes till full on his sight a second lamp in the belfry burns. A hurry of hoofs in a village street, a shape in the moonlight, a bulk in the dark, and beneath from the pebbles in passing a spark struck out by a steed flying fearless and fleet. That was all. And yet, through the gloom and the light, the fate of a nation was riding that night, and the spark struck out by that steed in his flight kindled the land and the flame with its heat. He has left the village and mounted the steep, and beneath him, tranquil and broad and deep, is the mystic, meeting the ocean tides, and under the alders that skirt its edge, now soft on the sand, now loud on the ledge, is heard the tramp of his steed as he rides. It was twelve by the village clock when he crossed the bridge into Medford town. He heard the crowing of the cock and the barking of the farmer's dog, and felt the damp of the river fog that rises after the sun goes down. It was one by the village clock when he galloped into Lexington. He saw the gilded weathercock swim in the moonlight as he passed, and the meeting-house windows blank and bare gaze at him with a spectral glare, as if they already stood aghast at the bloody work they would look upon. 
It was two by the village clock when he came to the bridge in Concord town. He heard the bleeding of the flock and the twitter of birds among the trees and felt the breath of the morning breeze blowing over the meadows brown. And one was safe and asleep in his bed who at the bridge would be first to fall, who that day would be lying dead, pierced by a British musket ball. You know the rest. In the books you have read how the British regulars fired and fled, how the farmers gave them ball for ball from behind each fence and farmyard wall, chasing the redcoats down the lane, then crossing the fields to emerge again under the trees at the turn of the road, and only pausing to fire and load. So through the night rode Paul Revere, and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm. A cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall echo forevermore. For, born on the night wind of the past, through all our history to the last, in the hour of darkness and peril and need, the people will waken and listen to hear the hurrying hoofbeats of that steed and the midnight message of Paul Revere. What makes these lines so memorable? It isn't just the story, important and dramatic as it is. As we've seen so often, Longfellow is both a master of verse and a master storyteller. In Paul Revere's ride, it is the matching of verse and story that makes the poem so memorable. Longfellow primarily uses a falling three-syllable foot with the stress on the first syllable, ta-da-da, ta-da-da. But at the end of each line, he stresses the final syllable as well to produce lines that more or less go ta-da-da, ta-da-da, ta-da-ta. The line gallops, then pulls up, gallops, and then pulls up, mimicking Revere's ride from village to village and house to house. The effect is unconscious but strong. Longfellow also managed the sounds of the consonants and vowels, sharp or soft, long or short, to give a sense of quiet or impatience or urgency or action or reflection as each moment requires. Let's listen again. Paul Revere's Ride by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. On the 18th of April in 75, hardly a man is now alive who remembers that famous day and year. He said to his friend, If the British march by land or sea from the town tonight, hang a lantern aloft in the belfry arch of the North Church Tower as a signal light, one if by land and two if by sea and I on the opposite shore will be, ready to ride and spread the alarm through every Middlesex village and farm, for the country folk to be up and to arm. Then he said, Good night, and with muffled oar silently rode to the Charleston shore, just as the moon rose over the bay, where, swinging wide at her moorings, lay the Somerset British man of war, a phantom ship with each mast and spar across the moon like a prison bar, 
and the huge black hulk that was magnified by its own reflection in the tide. Meanwhile, his friend through alley and street wanders and watches with eager ears, till in the silence around him he hears the muster of men at the barrack door, the sound of arms and the tramp of feet, and the measured tread of the grenadiers marching down to their boats on the shore. Then he climbed the tower of the old north church by the wooden stairs with stealthy tread to the belfry chamber overhead, and startled the pigeons from their perch on the somber rafters that round him made masses in moving shapes of shade. By the trembling ladder, steep and tall, to the highest window in the wall, where he paused to listen and look down a moment on the roofs of the town and the moonlight flowing over all. Beneath, in the churchyard, lay the dead in their night encampment on the hill, wrapped in silence so deep and still that he could hear like a sentinel's tread the watchful night wind as it went creeping along from tent to tent and seeming to whisper, all is well. A moment only he feels the spell of the place and the hour, and the secret dread of the lonely belfry and the dead. For suddenly all his thoughts are bent on a shadowy something far away, where the river widens to meet the bay. A line of black that bends and floats on the rising tide like a bridge of boats. Meanwhile, impatient to mount and ride, booted and spurred with a heavy stride, on the opposite shore walked Paul Revere. Now he patted his horse's side, now gazed at the landscape far and near. Then, impetuous, stamped the earth and turned and tightened his saddle girth, but mostly he watched with eager search the belfry tower of the old north church as it rose above the graves on the hill, lonely and spectral and somber and still. And lo, as he looks, on the belfry's height a glimmer and then a gleam of light. He springs to the saddle, the bridle he turns, but lingers and gazes, till full on his sight a second lamp in the belfry burns. A hurry of hoofs in a village street, a shape in the moonlight, a bulk in the dark, and beneath from the pebbles in passing a spark struck out by a steed flying fearless and fleet. That was all. And yet, through the gloom and the light, the fate of a nation was riding that night, and the spark struck out by that steed in his flight kindled the land into flame with its heat. He has left the village and mounted the steep, and beneath him, tranquil and broad and deep, is the mystic meeting the ocean tides, and under the alders that skirt its edge, now soft on the sand, now loud on the ledge, is heard the tramp of his steed as he rides. It was twelve by the village clock when he crossed the bridge into Medford town. He heard the crowing of the cock and the barking of the farmer's dog, and felt the damp of the river fog that rises after the sun goes down. It was one by the village clock when he galloped into Lexington. He saw the gilded weathercock swim in the moonlight as he passed, and the meeting-house windows blank and bare, 
gaze at him with a spectral glare, as if they already stood aghast at the bloody work they would look upon. It was two by the village clock when he came to the bridge in Concord town. He heard the bleeding of the flock and the twitter of birds among the trees, and felt the breath of the morning breeze blowing over the meadows brown. And one was safe and asleep in his bed, who at the bridge would be first to fall, who that day would be lying dead, pierced by a British musket ball. You know the rest. In the books you have read how the British regulars fired and fled, how the farmers gave them ball for ball, from behind each fence and farmyard wall, chasing the redcoats down the lane, then crossing the fields to emerge again under the trees at the turn of the road, and only pausing to fire and load. So through the night rode Paul Revere, and so through the night went his cry of alarm to every Middlesex village and farm. A cry of defiance and not of fear, a voice in the darkness, a knock at the door, and a word that shall echo forevermore. For, born on the night wind of the past, through all our history to the last, in the hour of darkness and peril and need, the people will waken and listen to hear the hurrying hoofbeats of that steed and the midnight message of Paul Revere. The British troops were first engaged by the American rebels at Lexington at around 5 a.m. on April 19th, just as the light was dawning. The skirmish was short and the British continued on to Concord, where at the north bridge over the Concord River was fired what was called by Emerson the shot heard round the world. Casualties on either side were few, and the British found little to seize. The fighting grew more intense as the British made their way back to Boston, with the wounded and dead on the American side eventually nearing 100, and on the British side over 250. The war for American independence was on. I hope you enjoyed Paul Revere's ride, and that you'll join me again next week for another episode of Fireside Poems. If you think others might enjoy Fireside Poems, please let them know about it through your social media so that they might join you and me each week by the Fireside. <laughs>